Well, good morning, Rivertown Community Church at all campuses. How's everyone feeling this morning? Y'all doing all right? Yeah, nope, I'm not going to settle for that. Y'all can do a little bit better. Is anyone excited to be in the house this morning? Amazing, amazing, amazing. Uh, well, it is such a privilege to be back with you all. If we didn't get a chance to meet last November, my name is Gerald Fatiomi, um, and it's really, really good to be back. We have this rule where I'm from that if you show up the first time, you're a guest, but when you show up a second time, you become family. And so if we haven't met, I'm your Uncle Gerald, and it's good. It's good to be back. Some of y'all were like, I have a black uncle. I did not know that. Well, now you do. Um, one thing you need to know about my family is my family is a little bit loud, okay? We're a little bit rowdy. Um, and so that's what I expect from this service. I heard the 9 a.m. service was the service to be at. The 9.30 was the place to be. Uh, and so, so if at any point in the service you feel like I said something good, you can just say, that's good. Uh, if you agree, you can say amen. You can lean in because uh, we're going to have some fun this morning. And we're going to wake up because I know it's daylight savings and some of us just want to go back to bed. So we're going to wake up and it's going to be a great morning. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, lean in. And I'm going to pray for us and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thanks for what you have in store for us. Thanks that you came to speak and that your people came to listen. And so my prayer, uh, God, is that you would give us ears to hear, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the words, but we'd be doers of it as well. And so what we hear, would we apply it? Would you give us courage to do that? Would you give us a heart that's open to your word this morning? And would you help us know where to move, what to do, and how to live? We love you and we thank you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Amen. So uh, something you need to know about me is I'm not a guy who has a lot of hobbies. Uh, I didn't really grow up with a ton of hobbies. The only thing that I did growing up was play basketball. And so I love playing basketball, but in adult life, I don't have a ton of hobbies. I told myself over the last couple of years that I was going to develop some hobbies. I, I thought about fishing, but I realized very quickly, like, that's not really the thing for me. Um, I'd much rather buy shoes than catch fish. And so catch, collecting shoes is kind of one of the things that I do. But then I started playing basketball again and played on a couple of leagues and I quickly realized that I've now become the old guy who's taking the game way too seriously for no reason and because I'm a pastor I felt like I was ruining my, my ministry and my witness playing basketball and so I had to quit doing that and so I've been trying to figure out a hobby that would work for me and I landed on the idea of photography. Uh, I love a good picture. Anyone else in the room love a good picture this morning? Yeah, like I love a good picture of family. I love a good picture with my friends. I love a good picture of nature, of buildings. Like I just love a good picture, and so I've kind of been digging into the idea of photography over the last couple of years. I have a couple of good friends who are really great at photography. One's name is Garrett, and the other name is Preston, and Garrett and Preston have this pretty incredible job. Um, they travel the world with Lauren Daigle and take pictures for her. That's their job, which is pretty amazing. Um, and so Preston, for the last couple of years, has been doing that. He's been all over the place to Iceland, Hawaii, Disney, like 12 times, just taking pictures of Lauren. And so I pulled Preston aside, and I said, hey, Preston, I need you to teach me. I need you to show me. Like, what do I need to know? What's the number one rule when it comes to photography? And Preston told me this. I'll never forget it. He said, Gerald, when it comes to photography, there's one rule. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get the shot. That's the number one rule. That's it. You have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get the shot. If it means climbing up a building illegally, you got to climb up the building. I said, Preston, I'm a pastor. I can't do that. He said, you got to be willing, Gerald. 
to do whatever it takes to get the shot. And so I've kind of implemented uh, this rule into my life, and I've started doing some things uh, for a good picture that I wouldn't have normally done. In fact, a couple of years ago, December of 2018 to be exact, my wife and I decided to do a road trip together from Atlanta, where we live, to Denver. Uh, Denver was on both of our bucket lists. It's about a 13-hour drive from Atlanta to Denver, and so we're committing to about a 26-hour road trip together in the car. The problem with this trip is that my wife's family is from Chicago. And so we oh, come on now, somebody, I love it. So we couldn't go directly to Denver. We had to make a pit stop in Chicago. And so we made a whole trip out of this thing where we drive from Atlanta to Nashville, Nashville to Chicago, Chicago to Wisconsin, Wisconsin to Iowa, Iowa to Mount Rushmore, so I could get my picture in front of Mount Rushmore. We would leave Mount Rushmore, drive down to Denver, spend three days in Denver, leave Denver, drive back across the state of Kansas and come back home to Atlanta. It ended up being 60 hours in the car. And somehow we're still married. <laughs> One of the greatest trips of my life, we pack everything up in the car. You know, you guys are from Florida, so you know what this is like. We don't have any winter clothing. And so I just start packing up all of the t-shirts I have, all the sweatshirts that I have. I have to have all my different pairs of shoes because I just have to have options. And so everything's packed up in the car. I heard something about snow and shovels, and so I grabbed a shovel and I threw that in the trunk. Um, I heard something about ice and salt, and so I went into my cabinet and I grabbed some Mortons and I said, I am prepared for this trip. I later realized that's a different kind of salt. But anyway, I was prepared. I was ready to go. Uh, so we get in the car and we begin our trip. We drive from Atlanta to Nashville. It's about four hours. It goes great. We spend the night at my mentor's house. We wake up the next morning. They make us breakfast and it's amazing. We wake up to the smell of eggs and bacon and grits and sausage. It's so great. We finish breakfast with them and we leave Nashville. We drive to Chicago another seven hours. We get there and everything's great. We spend Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and the day after Christmas there. We pack everything back up into the car and we leave Chicago and we proceed to drive to Wisconsin because that's where my wife's dad's side of the family is from. And we only spend about two hours in Wisconsin because let's be honest, that's about all the time you need in Wisconsin. It is a terrible state. Um, if you're from there, I am so sorry. Not that I made fun of it, that you're from there. So we leave Wisconsin uh, and we drive to the only state that's worse than Wisconsin. We drive to Iowa. And... <laughs> We get to Iowa at about 11 p.m. that night, and I don't know why, my wife is a planner, I'm kind of the spontaneous one, but for some reason she thought it was a good idea to let me book the Airbnb that we were going to be staying in that night. And so being the good husband that I am, I said, I'm gonna make this an experience. So I booked us a vintage 1800s Airbnb. Now what I think I missed in the description <laughs> is by vintage 1800s, they meant it had not been touched since the 1800s. And so we walk in this house and we are immediately hit with the smell of an animal that smells like it's been ax murdered in the living room. And my wife turns and looks at me and she says, Gerald, we are not staying here. And I looked at her and I said, girl, <laughs> We paid for this, you better put your stuff in the bedroom, okay? So she goes and she takes her stuff in the bedroom and I start investigating the house and as I'm walking around, she goes, babe, 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 you gotta come in here, this is crazy. So I walk into the bedroom and y'all, I wish I was exaggerating. I walk in the bedroom and there are portraits of women who look like they died in the early 1800s surrounding the bed. As if they are waiting for us to fall asleep. And I look at my wife and I said, Kylie, we are not staying here, okay? 
pack up everything in the car. We go to a hotel down the road, we spend the night in the hotel, we wake up the next morning, we're eating breakfast together, and as we're eating breakfast, the news report comes on and it says this, it says, winter storm Ebony is on the way. Now, I don't know if this is because I'm from the hood, but for some reason when I heard it, I heard it as winter storm Ebony is on the way. <laughs> so I turn and I look at my wife and I said, baby, we got two options. We can either spend another night here in Narnia, or we can get out there and we can beat this storm. And she looked at me and she said, let's go. I said, that's why I married you. We got in the car and y'all, I took off. I was going a speed that I will not tell you because I'm a pastor, but I am going, going, going. Y'all, I know the Lord was with me though because I had Hillsong on full blast, right? Like I'm going and I'm like, Spirit lead me where my trust is right. I'm going, going, going. And y'all, I crossed the state line of South Dakota and Ebony came and said, hey, at full speed. I'm talking 35 mile an hour wind surrounding the car like this. And on the outside, I'm like trying to play it cool. I'm like, girl, we good thug life. I didn't choose it. It chose me. We're fine. But on the inside, I'm like, we're going to die. We're going to die. And the news report is going to read, black pastor died in South Dakota. Why was he in South Dakota? We pull off into another hotel. We spend the night, we wake up the next morning, and my wife looks at me and she goes, hey babe, why don't, I know like you really wanna to go to Mount Rushmore, but why don't we just skip that and go directly to Denver? We're already a day behind on our trip, and you know, Denver was like the, the plan the whole time, and so like, why don't we just go straight there? And I looked at her and I said, babe, you know what? I'm getting my picture. <laughs> and so we get back in the car, we proceed to drive 40 miles an hour, on a highway with a speed limit of 80 miles an hour for eight hours to get to Mount Rushmore at sunset and get this picture right here. Right. Right. Well, that's a, that's a pretty good picture. In fact, that, that's like a really good picture. It's funny, I was looking at that picture as I prepared for this morning. And I felt like the Lord reminded me of a really simple truth, and it's this, is that we all have a picture in our mind that we'll do whatever it takes to get to. Like for me, it was a physical picture of my wife and I in front of Mount Rushmore, and for you, it's probably not a physical picture, but I would be willing to bet that you have a picture in your mind that you will survive blizzards, storms, nights in the 1800s, Airbnbs, you will tell Ebene to get out of your way so that you can get to the picture that you have in your mind picture for who you'll become, picture for your career, picture for what your life could be. Like we all have a picture for our future, don't we? Regardless of, of what stage of life you find yourself in, in the room tonight, I bet that if we could sit down for just a little bit of time, have a cup of coffee, and I could ask you about what you want this year to look like, you'd be able to paint a picture. If I could ask you about what you want the next 10 years of your life to look like, you could paint a picture for me. If I asked you about the next 50 years of your life, you'd be able to paint a picture of what you want your future to be, what you want your life to be. We all have a picture for our future, and it's not just one, right? Like, there's multiple. You have a picture for your relationships. For some of you in the room, you're single this morning. 
and the picture that you have for a relationship is just to be in one. So eventually find that guy or find that girl. You've been picturing your wedding day forever and that's the picture that you have in your mind. For some of us in the room, you're married and you have a picture for what your marriage could be, for what your marriage should be, for the ways that you could treat each other, for the ways that maybe you should treat each other, for the ways that your marriage could get better, you have a picture. For others of us in the room though, we were married. And now when we think about the picture of relationships, we're like, I'm not sure if I want another one. Because I had a marriage before that didn't work out. I know what it's like to be mistreated, to be undervalued. I'm not sure if that's for me. For some of us in the room, we've never even considered a relationship because we saw our parents' relationship. And it was so broken that we just decided, you know what, I'm never going down that road. Here's the thing, I don't know what your picture is when it comes to your relationships, but here's what I know is you have one. You have a picture for your career, maybe to get a raise this year, a promotion that you have in mind. For some of you, the picture is retirement and you just can't wait to be done. I don't know what the picture is for your career, but I know you got one. If you're a student in the room, you have a picture. What college you'll go to, a picture of graduation, a picture of life beyond high school or college, like you have a picture for your academics, you have a picture for your friendships, for the type of people you'll hang out with, for the people you want in your small group, and for the people you were hoping would never end up in your small group. <laughs> you have a picture, you have a picture for your faith, right? For what a relationship with God could look like, for what a relationship with God should look like, or for some of you, you had a bad church experience and you're only here this morning because your wife forced you to come and you're like, listen, as soon as you're done, I'm going back to my regular life. My picture as it relates to faith is I want nothing to do with God. I'm done. Or maybe you're in the room and honestly, your picture is kind of a blank slate when it comes to faith. You're not sure what to believe about God. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian household. Maybe you've never grown up hearing about Jesus. I don't know where you are this morning, but here's what I know is true. For every area of all of our lives, we have a picture. Who will become? Where we'll go? What we'll accomplish? What our life will look like this year, 10 years, 50 years from now. And so since that's true, since it's true that we all have a picture for our future, I think there's a question that's necessary for us to wrestle with this Sunday morning. And the question is really simple. It's this, it's what if your best is less? Well, like what if the picture that you've been painting for your future falls short of all that you're actually meant to accomplish? What if the picture that you have for your relationships or for a marriage is far less than what it actually could B, what if you, the picture that you have for your career is far different than what you'll actually do? What if the picture that you have for your friendships is far less than the type of friends that you should actually have? What if the picture that you have for your faith is far different than what it could actually be? Like if you were settling in an area of your life, wouldn't you want to know? If you were hoping for a picture that was less than what was ultimately best for you, wouldn't you want to know? I think it's necessary for us to wrestle with this question, what if your best is less this morning? And to do that, we're going to take a look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture. If you've grown up in church, you've heard of Peter before. 
And this morning, we're going to be looking at a pretty significant moment in Peter's life. We're going to be looking at the moment that Peter first decided to follow Jesus. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. If you don't have one, don't worry. We have a massive digital Bible that's going to come up on the screens. It's amazing. And you'll be able to follow along there. Peter was one of Jesus' 12. He walked with Jesus. He talked with Jesus. He did life with Jesus. But more than being one of his 12 disciples, he was in his inner, inner circle. He was one of his three. One of Jesus' closest disciples, one of his closest friends. We see in this moment is the moment that Peter first decides to commit his life to following Jesus. Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. We'll read all the way through it, and then we'll pull a couple of things out of it. It says this. It says, one day as the crowds were pressing close to him to hear the word of God, Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats there moored by the land. The fishermen had gone ashore and they were washing their nets. And so he got into the boat that belonged to Simon, Peter, and he asked him to put out a little way from the land. He sat down in the boat and he began to teach the crowd. When he had finished, he, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, hey, put out into the deeper parts and let your nets down for catch. Master replied, Simon, Peter, we've been working hard all night and we've caught nothing at all. But if you say so, Jesus I'll let my nets down for a catch. When they did so, they caught such a huge number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. So they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell at Jesus' knees. Go away from me, he said. Leave me, Lord. I'm a sinner. He and all of his companions were gripped with amazement at the catch of fish that they had taken in. This included James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon Peter. Don't be afraid, Jesus said to him. From now on, you'll be catching people. So they brought their boats into the land. They abandoned everything, and they followed him. Three things I want us to see in this interaction between Jesus and Peter that I believe will be helpful for us as we wrestle with this question, what if your best is less? Jesus shows up into this fishing town, and when he gets there, there's a crowd of people who are waiting to see him. His popularity has grown, and so they're waiting to see what miracle he might do. They're waiting to hear what message he may have come to preach. This is no different than any other day. As you read through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see everywhere that Jesus would go, a crowd would appear as well. The problem on this particular day, though, is that Jesus knew that the crowd was so large they would not be able to hear the message that he came to preach. And so he looks around his surroundings, and he sees that there's these fishermen who are washing their nets. So he gets into the boat that belongs to Simon Peter, and he says, hey, Peter, would you push off a bit from the shore? So I could preach my message from your boat. The reason that Jesus would ask Peter to do this is because he had no microphone in his day. And he knew if he could get off from the shore, then he could use the water to amplify his voice so that the crowd would be able to hear him. It was like a natural microphone. And so Peter obliges and he pushes off from the shore and Jesus sits at the edge of his boat and he begins to preach this message to the crowd. Now what he preached this day, I'm not sure. But what happens next is extremely interesting to me. That as soon as Jesus finishes the message that he came to preach to the crowd, he immediately turns his attention to Peter in the boat. And he starts a conversation with him. So this is the first thing that I want us to see in this interaction. It's this, is that God sees Peter individually. 
And the same is true for you. See, at the surface level, it looks like Jesus came to this town to preach a message to the crowd. But when we really dig in, what we see is that Jesus didn't just come with a message for the crowd. He actually came for a message for an individual. That he would never miss a moment to speak to someone one on one. Why do I tell you this this morning? Well, because I imagine in a room this size and with the multiple campuses around our city, that many of you walked into church this morning feeling like you're just one of the faces in the crowd. Feeling like you're just another employee at your job. Feeling like you're just another mom who's doing everything that you can to hold the family together but no one seems to notice. Feeling like you're just another dad who's clocking in and clocking out and trying to provide for your family but you never get a thank you. Feeling unseen, unnoticed, unloved. Another face in the crowd. And the question in some of your minds this morning is this, and maybe you've never said this out loud, but you've been thinking it, is I wonder if I wasn't on the planet tomorrow, if anyone would know this, if anyone would care. And worse than just asking that question about the people around you, for a lot of us in the room, you're asking that question about God. And God, do you see me? Do you know me? Do you care? And I just needed to pause here before we went any further and say this to you this morning. God sees you. Like, I don't know what you're going through, but he does. I don't know what you're wrestling with, but he does. He sees you. And I can't speak for your boss. I can't speak for your spouse. I can't speak for your kids, for your community, but what I can tell you is the God of the universe, while he sees everything in its fullness, he also sees you individually. That he knows your struggle, he knows your pain, he knows about the financial issue, he knows about the depression, he knows about the anxiety, he knows about the worry, he knows the thing that's been keeping you up late at night that's causing you to not be able to sleep, he knows about the tears that you've cried. He is in the boat with you. And while it may feel like Gerald is up here preaching a message to the crowd, I believe through the power of the Holy Spirit that God wants to speak specifically to you. Because he's saying to you this morning, listen, I see you. I'm in the boat with you. You're not on your own. Jesus begins this individual conversation with Peter. He tells Peter, hey, would you you row out into the deeper parts of the water? Peter says yes, and so I imagine as he does that Out of the Shallows by Lady Gaga starts playing softly in the background. (laughs) And the deeper that he gets, it transitions to Rolling in the Deep by Adele. (laughs) So now you have Jesus and Peter in the deep waters being serenaded by Adele. When Jesus asked Peter to do something that was absolutely ridiculous, hey, Peter. Why don't you drop your nets for, for a catch? <clears throat> Jesus, <laughs> teacher, rabbi, guy. Um, I don't know if you know this. I'm a fisherman. It's kind of what I do, Jesus. You ever played go fish before? I do that in real life, Jesus. I'm a fisherman. And you're asking me to drop my nets for catch 
in the middle of the day. See, I told y'all earlier, I'm not like really the fishing type, but one of the few things that I learned about fishing, honestly, I only learned for the context of this conversation is this, is that amateur fishermen know you go fishing in the middle of the day. You're an amateur, you're like, I don't know, I'm bored, let's go fishing, do, 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 see if we catch anything. But expert fishermen know there's two times you go fishing, right? It's early in the morning, late at night. Why? Because the waters are cooler. And the cooler the waters are, the higher the fish rise to the top. So if you're trying to catch fish, especially by net, you don't want to go in the middle of the day. You're going to fish early in the morning or late at night. This is why Peter responds to Jesus exactly the way that he does. Hey, Jesus, I've been fishing all night. Translation, Jesus, I've been fishing at the time that I'm supposed to be fishing, and I've caught nothing. But if you say so, Jesus... Let my nuts down for a catch. You're in for a rude awakening, buddy. According to Luke, it was Peter who was in for the rude awakening. Because Peter that day would catch a boatload of fish, literally. And not just one, but two. So many that Peter would have to call out to the other guys, Guys! I know! It's crazy! We got fish, homie! You gotta get over here right now. What she order? Fish filet. This is crazy! Get over here right now! And they start loading both boats with fish. And as they're doing this, I just imagine that Peter has a moment where he goes, that's not supposed to happen. are you? I thought you were a rabbi. I, I thought you were a teacher. Oh my you. <laughs> this is crazy. And it's in this moment that Peter realizes the second thing that I hope we'd understand this morning. It's this, is that God is far bigger than you think he is that Peter is standing in the boat with Jesus thinking that he's a rabbi or a teacher, but it's in this moment that he realized that even nature obeys him, that God is far bigger than he could have ever imagined, that he could have ever thought. And the reason I think it's important for us to understand that this morning is because for some of you, you've been doing church so long that you think you have God figured out and you fit God into your little box and you just need to know this morning if God can fit in your box, then that's no God at all. He is far bigger than you think he is. He doesn't play by your rules. He doesn't fit in your box. His ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are bigger than your thoughts. Do you understand the magnitude of the God that we're talking about this morning? We're talking about the God that created everything that we know to be in existence. We're talking about the God with a breath formed all of creation. We're talking about the beginning and the end, the alpha, the omega. We're talking about God here, people. And he is far bigger than we think that he is. And for so long, we've been doing this thing where we've been looking to our humanity to try to define our God. And I just wouldn't wonder what would happen if a community decided, you know what, we're not doing that anymore. 
We're going to look to our God and tell him to define our humanity. Let him tell us how we live. Let him tell us who we should be. Let him tell us the way that we should live. Our God is far bigger than we think that he is. And you got to understand this this morning. That's really good news for us. That's really, really, really good news. Because if God is bigger than we think he is, then that means he's bigger than any problem you came into the room with this morning. It means he's bigger than cancer. And I can say that not like as a pastor, I can say that as the son of a father who was diagnosed with cancer last year and who watched my dad navigate cancer with a peace that passed all understanding. Where I looked at him and went, I don't understand how you have so much joy and I'm a pastor. I don't understand how you have so much peace. I, dad, dad I, don't, I don't get it. My dad would look at me and he'd go, no, 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 Gerald, don't forget, God is bigger than my cancer. And fortunately, the end of my dad's story is that he was healed from cancer. That's not always how the story ends. But the good news is this, that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And my dad realized in this moment, no matter what happens at the end of the story, God is bigger than this disease. He's bigger than cancer. He's bigger than the depression. He's bigger than the disorder. He's bigger than the anxiety. He's bigger than we think he is. What would happen if we stopped telling God how big our problems are and we started telling our problems how big our God is? He's bigger than we think. Peter realizes that in this moment. And while it's good news for us, it's also intimidating news as well. Because when we realize that God is bigger than we think he is, then it also leads us to the realization that God is big enough to know everything we've ever done. And for some of us, honestly, for a lot of us, leads to fear. That's what happened for Peter. He comes to this realization and his immediate response is, away from me, Lord. I'm a sinner. Jesus, I'm too broken. I'm too messed up. I don't deserve to be in your presence. Jesus, get away from me. Peter goes on this speech as if to distance himself from God, and I love the way that Jesus responds. He lets him finish what he came to say, and then he looks at Peter and he says these words, Peter, don't be afraid. P Peter, you don't have to run. Come on, Peter, really? I knew who you were before I got in the boat. I know about your sin. I know about the secrets. Peter, I know. And for so many of us, we think that our sin is the thing that pushes us away from God. When Jesus is going, no, 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 your sin is the reason I came. You don't have to run. I know. I'm here for it. I came to die for it. And then Jesus says to Peter the words that completely changed Peter's life. He looks at Peter and he says, hey, Peter, from now on, you'll be catching people. Translation, hey, Peter, from now on, I will be using you to influence people for my name. That's the mission for your life. That's who you're going to become. You got to understand why this is so significant. You see, for Peter, at this point in his life, he already had a picture for his future. Most scholars believe that Peter became a fisherman because his dad was a fisherman before him. 
And the reason he would have gone back into the family business is because he probably would have been rejected by a local rabbi. And so he goes back to doing what he always knew to do. He goes back to fishing. Not only that, a lot of scholars believe at this point, Peter was already married. And so the picture for Peter's future is that he would live in a small town, he would go out and catch fish, and hopefully he would catch enough to provide for his wife. That was the picture for Peter's future. But then Jesus shows up on the scene with a Messiah lean. And he goes, Peter, you're not meant to be a fisherman. You're meant to be a fisher of men. Peter, I have bigger plans for you. Peter, I have a better picture for you. Peter, I have more in store than what you have in mind. That's the third thing I want us to grab this morning is this, is that God has more in store than what you have in mind. And I don't know what your picture is for your future. I don't know what your picture is for your relationships, for your career, for your friendships, for your faith. I don't know what your picture is for the next 10 years, for the next year, for the next 50 years. I don't know what your picture is. But here's what I believe. So God has more. He has a better marriage than you can imagine. He has better friendships than you could ever dream of. He has better plans for your career than you could ever paint for yourself. And he has more in store for your faith than you could ever imagine. God has more in store than what you have in mind. But I need to be so clear about what I'm saying this morning. Because the worst thing that could happen is that you hear what I just said and you walk out of this room with some prosperity gospel believing, if I follow Jesus, then my life will be perfect. If I follow Jesus, I'll just get whatever I want. If I follow Jesus, then I'll really be happy. If I follow Jesus, no troubles will come my way. Let me be very clear. Jesus, out of his own mouth, said this, John 16, 33, in this world, you will have trouble. It is guaranteed. But you can take heart because I've overcome the world. The promise of following Jesus is not a mistake-free, problem-free, wealth-guaranteed, get-whatever-you-want kind of life. The promise of following Jesus is more joy, more peace, more patience, more self-control, more freedom, more hope, more life. The promise of following Jesus is more. It's a richness to life that money could never buy. I love Peter's story so much. Because as I read it, I can just imagine what's happening in Peter's heart. <laughs> that Peter may have been sitting in his boat, holding the plans of his life like this. But then he met Jesus. And he goes, oh, you, you see me. And you're bigger than I thought you were. And you have more in store than what I have in mind. You have plans for me. And Peter went from living his life close-fisted like this to living a life that looked like this. That he would open his hands, trust God with his plans, follow Jesus. Y'all, that's what's on the table for us this morning. Is the opportunity to go from living life like this to living a life that looks like this. To open our hands trust God with our plans and follow Jesus wherever he may lead. And y'all, I'm just telling you, when you do this, it always leads to more. You know what's crazy to me? 
is that 2,000 years later, we're talking about a fisherman from Israel. Have you ever thought about that? Here's, here's what's crazier than that. Some of you in this room are named after a fisherman from Israel. Can you imagine having your first kid and going, oh, I heard about this fisherman one time in St. Louis. There's not even water there. <laughs> Let's name our kid after him, Billy, Bob. <laughs> you would never do that. So why is it that 2,000 years later, this fisherman from Israel is still being talked about in places all over the world? Because Peter was an awesome guy? Nope. Because Peter lived a perfect life? If you remember, this is the guy who betrayed Jesus three times. Because Peter had his life all figured out? Absolutely not. The reason we're still talking about a fisherman from 2,000 years ago from halfway across the world is because this guy decided, I'm going to live a life that looks like this. And when he did, God took him places he never thought were possible. And he led him to a life he could have never imagined. I am just telling you. You can spend the rest of your life like this, living for yourself, trusting your own plans in your own way. But I just ask you, where has it gotten you? Or you could live a life that looks like this. And you could go on the adventure of a lifetime. Now, some of you, you hear that and you go, okay, Gerald, that sounds good. And I want in. But how do I do it? Well, it's really simple. A lot of times we make following Jesus really complicated, but it's not. It's actually really, really simple. Following is just taking steps in the direction of someone who's moving. That's all following is. And so where Jesus moves, you move. When he steps, you step. That's what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so what does it look like to follow? Well, it just looks like taking a step. It's taking a step in the direction of Jesus. And so for some of you, the step that you may need to take is during worship next week to show up with your arms not folded in the back of the room, but for you to actually engage, maybe open up your hands towards Jesus. For some of you, the step is really simple. It's just coming back next week as we kick off a new series together. For some of you, the step is to be baptized, and you know you've needed to do that for a really long time, but you've been afraid, and now is the time to do it. For some of you, the step is to actually open up the scriptures and get into the word for yourself and not wait for Sunday for Paul to unpack it for you, but for you to actually open up the scriptures, start in the gospel of John and read who Jesus said that he was and do the things that he commanded you to do, to read the words in red and just do them. For some of you, the step is there's a wound that you've been carrying since childhood, something that someone did to you or said to you and you've never done anything about it. And the step is to get counseling and get help. For some of you, the step is an act of forgiveness. There's drama in your family. And you don't even remember why you don't like that person anymore, but for some reason you guys can't figure it out. And maybe the step is to call them today and go, hey, I want to move past our past. I forgive you. Will you forgive me? Let's move on. For some of you, the step is the most significant step you'll ever take in your life. It's to not just open your hands in one area, but it's to open your life and go, Jesus, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I am. I realize my brokenness. I realize why you came. I'm going to give my life to you. I don't know what your step is. 
but I know that I've never been disappointed by taking steps in the direction of Jesus. Every time I've done this, it's always led to more. So that's the challenge this week. Would you open your hands? Would you trust God with your plans? And would you follow Jesus into a life of more? I'm going to pray for us right now. And if you're at a place where you know you need to take a step, I'm just going to ask you during this prayer if you would just open your hands towards God as a way to receive and as a physical way to say, God, whatever you have for me, I'm in. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you that as big as you are, you're still personal and intimate enough to know each and every one of us in this room. So the picture and the plan that we have for our lives, thank you that you see all of that, but thank you that you have more than that for us. And so my prayer this morning is that we would be a people who are obedient to your word, who will follow your will, who will release control, and who will follow you. Father, control and faith can't live in the same place. And so would we be a people of faith who say yes to your will and yes to your way? We open our hands. We trust you with our plans. And we'll follow you. We love you and we thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Hey, thanks so much for being here with us. Make sure you come back next week for week one of what makes you happy. Bring a friend with you. Love you. We'll see you all next week.